Rebuilding Your Life, Moving from Disaster to Prosperity with Susan Shereko, where we help you transform your life by changing what you're telling yourself. Whatever your circumstances, you can experience health, financial security, and a sense of well-being once again. And now, here's your host, Susan Shereko. On behalf of Rebuilding Your Life Radio and the Train Your Brain, Claim Your Power calls, welcome. Today, Louis Teglifera joins us to discuss not only his book, When Bad Things Happen, Finding Peace and Serenity in Theofatalism, but a new belief system that he discovered while on a business trip to Sedona, Arizona, and he continues to con- discover things every day. Although language may seem contrary to your traditional background, the words seek to provide a new look at old concepts that help you to gain inner peace during times of adversity. If you're familiar with the serenity prayer, you'll resonate with his language of acceptance, detachment, and wisdom. Lewis has a great deal to share with us, so let's wave our hands to welcome Lewis Tagliaferro. Welcome, Lewis. We appreciate your being with us today. Thank you, Susan. I'm happy to be here. Good. Lewis, I think our audience will find it helpful to learn about the situations that led to your personal search for understanding. And that is what resulted in the new belief system that you call theofatalism. Can, can you tell us a bit about your background and the chain of events that led to this inspiration? Well, briefly, I was raised in Cumberland, Maryland. I had a fairly normal family, except that they were immigrant parents. After high school, I joined the Air Force and was on a bomber crew during the Korean War. After the Air Force, I got married and had two children, a boy and a girl. And in my occupational career, after I got a degree in business and technical degree, I published a technical journal, and I also wrote hundreds of magazine articles uh, in the industry I worked with. Now I'm age 88, and I'm looking forward to whatever comes next. Uh, After we were married for some years in uh, 1975, uh, my wife uh, got breast cancer. And uh, that kind of threw a monkey wrench into our whole family, which up until then was pretty normal. Um, We were active in church. Uh, She was actually a a preacher's daughter. I was a deacon, Sunday school teacher. But after she died at the age of 52, everything fell apart. Uh, The church was not very helpful to me. The belief system that we relied on uh, as a tradition did not provide me any company. I mean, any comfort. So I had to look for some other way to survive because I had to continue working. I was only 52 years old. That's the genesis of it. Um, so I'm... Well, then, what, what led you to this, to, to this new belief that you call theofatalism? It's what you, your whole, all of your work, and you've written numerous books. This is what you discuss in them. What, what was your path that led from uh, the, the death of your wife and, and trying to s- come to grips with everything that occurred? Well, what after, was that path? After the church left me and after the pastor could not help me, I had to go out to therapy. And I entered uh, uh, various different kinds of therapy. And because I was a writer, my first therapist uh, suggested that I start journaling and that I start reading. So I started to look for books, self-help books on grief and recovery from loss. 
And that led to the first book that I wrote, which is called Recovery from Loss, with a psychologist as a co-author. But one book led to another and another, and I would stay in my office at night reading because I didn't feel like coming home. And eventually, over a period of time, these books started to form some kind of new idea, some kind of new pattern I saw forming from various different authors. And my travels took me to Sedona, Arizona, and I felt more comfortable there than any place else. For some reason, the spiritual environment there was healing. And I started uh, writing my journals in Sedona, sitting at the airport uh, at the snack bar. So <laughs> I love it. The first, uh, the first book that I wrote was a an allegory of uh, five voices and five trips to Sedona, which gave me the first five principles of theophatalism. Um, that was the beginning of it, and uh, that's still the capstone of the work that I did. And that was about 1980. Uh, I'm can, sorry, can, 1990. 1990. Okay. Can you explain what you mean by uh, theophatalism? Theophatalism comes from my discovery of um, principles in Hinduism. Uh, The gods Shiva, Vishnu, and Brahma uh, are worshipped there as the gods of creation, maintenance, and destruction in the universe. And when I saw that, I saw those three elements of the universe being a universal principle. Um, This is not the god of the Bible or it's not the God of any other religions. Uh, But I saw creation, maintenance, and destruction in the universe, and I saw that uh, personified in this word God, G-O-D. And I saw that as generator, operator, destroyer. And from that, things started to fall into place. And everything I read, everything I came across, seemed to reinforce that idea. Now you have. Um, I'm. I'm going to assume that at that point that you. It sounds as if you um, left the the Christ aspect of this in order to focus on the one supreme deity. Well, yes. As a matter of fact, having been a Sunday school teacher and a deacon in the church, I was well versed in the scriptures and uh, an avid reader of the Bible. However, as I started studying the Bible. I started to see a different view of it. I saw the God of destruction in the Bible, not just the God of love, but the God of fire also. So my study of the Bible began by subjects rather than by chapter and uh, verse as it is done in normal teaching. Um, So I have uh, published extensive criticism of the Bible because of that. Uh, scriptures are full of uh, a, 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 a destructive God all through the Old Testament, even through the New Testament. Uh, yes, there is the God of love, but there's also the God of punishment. And I find that modern teaching and maybe even traditional teachings of Christianity do not give you the whole picture. Uh, they do what I call proof texting. They pick uh, scriptures that support the continuation of the church dogma, and they also carefully select things that keep people coming to church. If they taught the opposite view of God as a destructive force, maybe they wouldn't have so many uh, so many members. 
so my view of the Bible and view of Christianity was broadened to see God both as a generator, an operator, and a destroyer. And I spent considerable time uh, dissecting the Bible, or you might say criticizing it from that viewpoint. Well, now, can you share the five principles of theofatalism that you describe in your books? Well, I got these five principles in five trips to Sedona. I wrote them Mm -hmm. as an allegory in the first book called Voices of Sedona. Uh, These things have come to me through intuitive uh, inspiration, I think. The first principle is everything is happening as it must. Everything, including thoughts and beliefs, and it's all in God's will. Nothing happens outside of God's will. The second principle is necessary opposites. The universe and everything on earth is composed of opposite forces. Uh, There is a principle in basic physics that says all actions are accompanied by equal and opposite actions. Uh, This would include things like joy and suffering, pain and pleasure. Uh, our, Our vocabulary is full of opposites, hot and cold, in and out, up and down, and so forth. Uh, The third principle is unconscious decisions. It was known a long time ago, back in Freudian psychology, and uh, accompanied by Carl Jung, who is one of my mentors, who passed away back in 1961, that much of what we do and say and think and um, believe comes from our unconscious mind, sometimes called the subconscious mind. I liken this to being driven by the submerged part of an iceberg, We see the upper part of the iceberg on the surface, but the larger part of the iceberg is under the surface. And the part we see, the visible part, must go where the submerged part goes. And that's uh, similar to the human mind, I think. Uh, Mind-body connections are not well uh, uh, described yet, uh, not well understood, but there does seem to be something immaterial called a mind which is operative in body and actions. And it's that subconscious content that actually drives behavior and thoughts. The fourth principle is indefinite uncertainty about the future. Uh, We think maybe we have some plans that uh, I use the formula, uh, do this, get that, you know, um, that uh, applies to future plans. But quite often they don't work out. Uh, people disappoint us, plans don't work out as, as as we thought, and we have to deal with the consequences. Actually, about the future, we have nothing but really probabilities. We don't have any certainty at all, even though we may think we do. And the fifth principle is God, G-O-D, as immaculate imminence, present in all things. No matter whether we're talking about subatomic particles on the Earth, throughout the universe, or out to the galaxies, Everything from atoms to galaxies, God is immaculate eminence, present in all things. And those are the five principles that I discussed in my very first book, Voices of Sedona. Um, And the other books that I've written, which is now something like a dozen, uh, apply these principles to various many other things. Current events, economics, politics, world affairs, religion, natural disasters, and much more. Nothing happens outside the will of Most High God. Nothing. 
so how do how does you know this is this is a, a change or a movement away from what many people have been raised with um how do people use this information what do you do with it that's a good question <laughs> when you come up with something new like this it must have an application to real life to be useful otherwise it's just a a, a theory with no particular use uh, along the way i've discovered that uh, through my own therapy, um, there's many, many different ways of looking at human behavior and dealing with uh, mental uh, disorders caused by uh, challenges and disasters and so forth. Um, There practically are hundreds of different kinds of therapies out there. But the two most popular ones that are used more often uh, are called cognitive behavioral therapy and dialectical behavior therapy. And as I got it, going through literally dozens and dozens of hours of therapy with different therapists, social workers, psychiatrists, psychologists, I see those therapies falling into two camps. One is changing your behavior to change your thoughts. And having been in the military, that's what they do. (laughs) They forcefully change your behavior, and over a period of time you change your thoughts you're no longer a civilian you're a military person the other side of it is changing your thoughts to change behavior and in that regard we are given many many thoughts as we grow up through family uh, social contacts education training and so forth those thoughts are not always helpful Um, they might not even be true and yet people rely on them and those thoughts are converted into beliefs and beliefs are converted into actions so as I found uh, problems with constant, with current uh, therapy, I came up with, uh, again, five uh, what I call steps to, to reality. Uh, we must live in reality, and we must learn how to accommodate to reality. Uh, when my wife passed away, uh, my family was broken. Um, my life had changed dramatically, and I really couldn't see any pathway forward. Um, my daughter finished college but moved away to the other side of the country. Uh, my son dropped out of college, and uh, relatives were gone. Um, and over the period of years since then, most people that I've invested in have died. That's been my reality. So I've had to try to find a way to come up with my own form of therapy, and I call it reality accommodation therapy. Five steps. The first step is accept what it is as it is. Accept what it is as it is. Because if it should be different, it would be different. Uh, The second step is detach from your investment in desire for things to be different. Uh, We get attached to possessions. We get attached to people. uh, We get attached to beliefs. And step two is to detach from those things because desire for things to be different It's painful when those things change. And uh, third step is transcend the need for control. Uh, We're taught, again, do this, get that. Uh, We're taught that we have free will. Uh, We're taught that we can change things, we can fix things, especially in the United States. We can fix anything if we throw enough money at it. Um, But we don't really have control over anything. God is in control. Generator, operator, destroyer. God is in control. So step three is transcend the need for control. Step four is letting go. 
surrender. We have a willful ego. The ego is part of our mind that we're taught, that's built into us from childhood, that we can do anything we set out to do. We can have anything we want to have, and that life will be the way we plan it. But that's not true. God can step in at any time and change things dramatically, as it was done with my wife when she got breast cancer. So step forward, let go, surrender the willful ego, and with some courage, rely upon God, G-O-D, generator, operator, and destroyer. And the fifth principle is assume all decisions are given as learning experiences. Uh, that may be the most important of all. Even negative things that happen to us, uh, decisions that we make that turn bad, messes that we create, uh, messes that other people create for us, uh, circumstances create, all these situations result in decisions as we make in reaction to them, and I think those decisions are given to us as learning experiences. As some people may say, we have multiple lives, and what we don't learn in this life, we come back for another one, and another, and another. I don't know whether that's true or not, because, again, one of the principles is indefinite uncertainty. So I call that ADTDA therapy. Uh, accept, detach, transcend, uh, literally don't don't fight with God because you can't win and assume all decisions are learning experiences. The hurdle with this that I run into all the time, though, is people run into the barrier of the belief in free will. And um, the, the criticism I get primarily is, oh, we can't, we have free will. You know, we can do things uh, uh, because we have been given that by Creator. But my conclusion is that free will is an illusion given by the Creator. Uh, we have no free will, so we must believe in free will. And that's a major difference in this belief system than any other, uh, primarily in the United States belief system. So that's well, Lewis, I'd like you to back up just a minute for me, which is that um, in the in the introduction I mentioned that you have an affirmation, or you use an affirmation that's very similar to the serenity prayer that's used in the 12-step program. Could you just share your version of that with, with us? Um, that's an interesting uh, question. Uh, it is uh, based on uh, uh, that uh, serenity prayer for, to, to some extent, but it's got a, a, quite a different twist on it. And it says this, God, G-O-D, generator, operator, destroyer, grants me willingness to accept what I cannot change, the knowledge, current, courage and ability to do what I must, and the assurance that I am indispensable, although insignificant to the universe. Now that provides uh, uh, application for one of the major principles, and that is the principle of necessary opposites. We are both indispensable to the universe, or we would not be here, and we're also insignificant to the universe. Uh, I liken that to a grain of sand on the beach. Uh, it may seem like an individual grain of sand is insignificant, but yet if you start removing those grains of sand, eventually you don't have a beach. <laughs> uh, mm -hmm. The uh, the famous uh, 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 Catholic uh, nun, uh, Mother Teresa, uh, who served the, the, the poor people and the destitute people in the gutters of Calcutta all of her life, was asked one time, 
uh, don't you think all this work is just a drop in the bucket? And she said, well, it's more like a drop in the ocean. But without it, the ocean would be less. And that's the way I see this. If Without mm-hmm. us, the universe would be less. So we may think we're insignificant, but we're actually indispensable. No matter where we are, no matter how much money we have, no matter where we live. And that includes the saints and the sinners, you know, including the criminals. And that's part of the problem with theophilism. Because it, it accepts everything that is good and bad, painful and joyous. Uh, suffering and pleasure and that's where theophilism is different uh, from most of the affirmations that we see in normal religion Mm -hmm. you also Uh, have a symbol you know a lot of belief systems have symbols that you look to when you're uh, as part of your your process you have a belief system or a symbol uh, that represents theophilism which surprised me actually when I saw what it was yes that kind of surprised me, too. Um, I have been shocked many, many times to receive information that comes to me um, unexpectedly. And uh, uh, Albert Einstein said that intuition was th- more important than knowledge. Um, Napoleon said intuition uh, drives uh, the universe. And I suspect a lot of these things come to me from my own intuition. But in my reading, I discovered the symbol of something called the labyrinth. The labyrinth is an ancient symbol. It appears all over the world in many different places, in cave drawings and uh, artwork and so forth. And it has several different forms. But the form that I saw that was useful for Theophilism as its symbol is the labyrinth that's in the floor of the Chartres Cathedral in Chartres, France. Um, it's uh, the Notre Dame Cathedral in Chartres, France. Uh, this symbol is very unique because, to me, it illustrates how we leave the center, uh, which is our creative source, and you might say that happens at conception, and we walk the pathway we're given out to the world, and then we turn around and walk back to the source during the second half of life. Uh, and that fits my assumption about human nature and our human um, faculties, as was developed by Carl Jung. I think we live in a uh, four-quadrant uh, uh, existence. We have the physical body, the mental activity and functions, the emotions, and we also have a spiritual aspect to human beings. Again, the number four um, So with that symbol, um, I see people in the first half of life uh, going through four quadrants of uh, infancy um, to childhood, to youth, and to adults. And then at midlife, possibly at that point people call the midlife crisis, turning around and returning to the source through four steps, maturity, seniority, contemplation, and eventually mortality. So when I saw that, I thought, mm-hmm, aha, this, uh, this labyrinth fits the, fits the need for a symbol. Um, the Catholic symbol is the uh, crucifix. The, the Protestant symbol is the open cross. And the symbol for, symbol for theophilism is, uh, is, is the labyrinth. A labyrinth is different from a maze. You know, a maze is designed to frustrate. It's a puzzle. 
and you run up into stone walls, or, you know, barricades, and it's difficult to find your way through. With a labyrinth, it's not that way. There's only one way to go. You're not given any choice. You must walk the pathway that's in front of you. And that's the way I see life. Everybody is given the pathway, probably at conception, and they all must walk the pathway that they're given. Um, I think parents would realize this if they have children, and uh, soon after their uh, youngsters grow up a little bit, they see that the children are independent people, and the children are going to do what they have to do um, to live out their lives, which illustrates to me that everybody has to walk the pathway that they're given. Uh, no matter where that leads them. Uh, and sometimes it's not very happy. Sometimes it's not very pleasant. Uh, other times it uh, leads to wealth and fame, and and other times it, it is the opposite. But the labyrinth, to me, is the symbol of theophilism. Now, how, how, speaking of children, how have your children uh, reacted to the books that you've written? Well, they're, they're ingrained in their own pathway. You know, that's an interesting question. Um, my son is a, is a practicing Christian. Um, when I uh, approach him with problems or see events in the world, especially politics that's going on now, and I'll say God's will, you know, sometimes he rolls his eyes uh, because he's a person who's still living in that stage of life where he thinks, uh, do this, get that. You know, he has his own small business. Um, he operates his business from a cell phone, a smartphone, which he lived by. And uh, so far, he hasn't had uh, the ground ripped out from under him uh, like I have. Um, my daughter um, uh, moved to the West Coast, and she discovered a belief system there that fits her needs, uh, which is not the same as the one she grew up in. And all that uh, you know, leads me to the Proverbs that says when you raise a child and the way they should go, when they grow up, they won't depart from it. Well, I found that not to be true because children do have to process their own lives the way they live. And I give them permission to be who they are. They are following their pathway. They are following God's will of the Most High God for their, for their lives. And I have to give them permission to be who they are. And uh, they... Uh, can or cannot give me permission to be who I am. But each person in a family is walking their own pathway. And sometimes that's a unified family, a very close-knit, and other times it uh, it is dysfunctional and um, separates and blows up. So, Lou, Lou you have written 12 books. Um, and of, of all the books you've written, which title best talks about the principles that we've been discussing today? Actually, I've published 12 books that are in print. They're available on Amazon.com. They can be found under my name uh, by uh, entering author name, uh, Louis Tagliaferre, T-A-G-L-I-A-F-E-R-R-E. But the capstone book that is available on my website probably is the one that uh, captures all of this the best. And uh, my website is uh, www.schooloftheofatalism.com. T-H-E-O-F-A-T-A-L-I-S-M. And there, there is posted a link to a free ebook. Uh, I give it free, give it freely. I give people permission to copy it or to distribute it, forward it to other people, so long as they don't change it. 
uh, and the title of that is When Bad Things Happen. When Bad Things Happen, um, Finding um, Peace and Serenity in Theophilism. Um, and I think that book is pretty comprehensive. It's, it's, it's uh, uh, long, <laughs> 63,000 words now, and it's still a work in process. Uh, because it's not in print form, I can update it and revise it, and I do quite often. So the book changes with time, and I don't know when it's going to be completed, uh, maybe not until the end of my lifetime, but at the age of 88, uh, I don't think that's going to be many more years. Uh, so I'd recommend people go to the website, www.schooloftheofatalism.org, and uh, go to the uh, link that provides uh, read more to the book that's available there, um, When Bad Things Happen, uh, Finding uh, Peace and Serenity in Theophatalism. Of course, they, now, can, go to, they can find all they the other... They could also go to Amazon, right? Uh, I didn't hear. I say they could go to Amazon. Well, certainly. All the 12 mm -hmm. books are posted on Amazon.com. Yes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, is there a present application of uh, theofatalism that can help people with the challenges that we're facing right now? Well, we are facing a terrible time right now. Um, everybody is uh, uh, suffering with the uh, COVID-19 uh, virus that's uh, plaguing the world, actually, not just our country. And uh, people are dying. Uh, people feel out of control. Uh, the federal government is struggling. Uh, states are struggling. So if anything, theophilism is uh, a possible uh, aid to living with this circumstance. Um, uh, we lose people, uh, sometimes unexpectedly in accidents, but with the COVID virus, uh, uh, people are being lost uh, through no fault of their own. Uh, just by being in the wrong place at the wrong time. So I think this is a time uh, for theophilism, <laughs> for the principles, the five principles, and the five steps in, in uh, reality accommodation therapy. Because if there ever was a time when we have to accommodate to reality, uh, this is it. Um, and along with that, we need to remember that uh, we need to express love to people. Um, we can have uh, disagreements and we can have uh, arguments, but they should all be conducted under uh, the umbrella of love. And even with those people who disagree with us, who harm us, um, uh, the, the, the solution to world peace and even internal serenity uh, is, is forgiveness. Forgiving ourselves, uh, forgiving others, and uh, maybe even forgiving God. <laughs> You know, this generator, operator, destroyer thing that's out there driving the universe. Um, and if we can do those things, act in love, forgive, and follow the principles, and uh, and uh, practice the steps, uh, accept, detach, transcend, uh, surrender, uh, and decide, I think we would have at least an opportunity to uh, live through the suffering that's going on. Uh, maybe we can't stop the suffering, but maybe by understanding what's going on, we could find some measure of uh, of uh, inner peace and uh, and serenity. 
that's my goal, and I still have to work on it. It's it's not a it's a process really, and not a goal. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. Is there I, as we move toward the end of this call, is there one last thing that you would like to share? Hmm. Well, this is a new belief system, and it stresses traditional beliefs. Um, uh, I think that it requires people to have an open mind and uh, to uh, accept that there's other ways of believing in the world than maybe the one that they grew up with. Um, There are many, many belief systems out there, and they're all the will of God in my view. This is another one, and uh, maybe it's going to be... something useful in the future. Uh, Somebody said that once a mind is stretched to a new idea, it never returns to its original dimensions. Once a mind is stretched to a new idea, it never returns to its original dimensions. I can't go back anymore to who I was when I was married and had a traditional family. Uh, I can't accept the traditional faith that I was uh, brought up in and that I lived with for 50-some years. I have to move on. And this is the pathway I've been given. Everybody will have their own pathway. And hopefully some people will see theophilism as part of their new pathway. If uh, if that helps uh, some people, that'll be fine. And if it starts something new and uh, becomes a worldwide movement, uh, that would really be great. Uh, I really hope that somebody will find this uh, belief system and, and build on it and uh, help it grow uh, beyond my lifetime. So thank you for Well, thank you for being with us today, Lewis. Um, Giving authors a voice is one of the main reasons for this podcast. So I pray, I I echo your desire that those who need to hear your words will find them. Um, I'd also like to thank our listeners for joining us today. We've been speaking with Lewis Teglefer about the School of Theophatalism and his numerous books on the subject, including When Bad Things Happen, which is available on Amazon and on his website. We appreciate your support of this program at the Anchor.fm podcast site, Train Your Brain, Claim Your Power. To stay connected with our community of authors, email Susan at SusanShereko.com. That's S-U-S-A-N-S-H-E-R-A-Y-K-O.com and ask to subscribe. So thank you again for being with us, Lewis. You're welcome, and thank you to the readers who may, um, uh, the listeners who may uh, get this message, and uh, thank you especially for your time. God bless. You're more than welcome. Once again, it's time to go, everyone. Bye for now, and have a great day. Thank you very much for tuning in today. If you've been inspired by this show, leave a rating or review on iTunes and visit www.rainbowsoverruins.com to receive a free chapter from Susan's book. On behalf of Susan Shereko, this has been Rebuilding Your Life, Moving from Disaster to Prosperity, sharing the journeys of those affected by sudden and great loss and what they did to heal, rebuild, and where they are now.